It is Friday, March 3rd, 2023, and welcome to episode 189 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that gets you quickly up to speed three times a week on the national security and foreign policy debate shaking up America. We're here today with our regular crew, myself, Lester Munson, senior fellow at NSI, Jamil Jaffer, NSI founder and executive director, and Jessica Jones, superhero. So today we're going to talk about North Korea. Uh, there are reports out of the Hermit Kingdom that people are again dying from famine, malnutrition, lack of access to food. Uh, this is an echo of something that happened three decades ago in North Korea when uh, in all likelihood over a million North Koreans died in a, in a massive famine, an artificial famine. Uh, let's be clear that the, the food situation is created by the governance structure in North Korea. North Korea is a closed off country, of course, very little trade with the outside. The North Korean regime refuses to accept assistance from either South Korea or the United States. It is willing, evidently, to talk to the World Food Program, and there are reports that North Korea asked the WFP for assistance last month. Uh, so this is this is a matter of great concern because North Korea, of course, is a nuclear power. Having detonated uh, nuclear weapons, uh, it has a missile capability. In fact, North Korea is spending hundreds of millions of dollars on its missile and nuclear programs. If that money were spent on food, there would be no famine problem in North Korea. So the question becomes, what, what should the United States be doing about North Korea, this rogue nuclear power whose people are starving? Jamil, what are your thoughts? Well, look, obviously, I think um, the U.S. has a role to play uh, through the World Food Program. If they won't talk to us, um, we have to work through international institutions to help them. Um, I think it is important that we help the people of North Korea, even though their government is, uh, you know, essentially robbing from them, stealing from them to pay for its missile program. Um, they're obviously under significant, uh, stress. The, the interesting thing about, uh, about North Korea is they won't take U.S. aid. Um, their, uh, their state run newspaper said, uh, it's better, it's better to, for the economy to, you know, it's, they have to, they have to recover their own economy. It's better than taking poison candy. That's what they referred to, um, uh, uh, you know, aid from the U.S. as poison candy. So, uh, you know, they've encouraged their people to become self-reliant, but, what does that mean when you can't feed yourself, right? Apparently, North Korea um, has only generated about 4.5 million uh, tons of rice. They need 5.5 million tons of rice to feed their own population. Um, so they're not going to be able to do it on their own. And so it's good that they're talking to the World Food Program. I think the last piece of this is, and it's worth mentioning really sort of in detail, less to your point, um, they spend between $340 million to $530 million on ballistic missile launches last year alone. That covers at least, if they spent that money on food, that would cover at least several months of food supplies to fully feed their entire population. So, you know, the idea somehow that this is solely a problem of the world's creation, this is a problem of, of the, of their regime and China, which is, which props up their regime has, needs to take responsibility and, and help them out here. Um, uh, and so we should work through, um, the Chinese, the Russians, um, who are increasing their trade with North Korea, um, to solve this problem. I think it's um, interesting. Jones. Yeah, yeah. So actually, you know, we kind of touch on this topic a lot, and it's something I've really appreciated, unless you're you know, taking the position of depolitization of aid. And so I think we're all in agreement that, you know, famine or um, hunger amongst, you know, innocent North Koreans is something we're trying to avoid. And obviously, as Jamil points out, uh, North Korea doesn't really want to have anything to do with South Korea or us, so they're going to the WFP. But what I think is also interesting is that, you know, during COVID, they, they ceased all kind of foreign engagement um, and, you know, they even, you know, shut down roads, you know, um, uh, transportation between, you know, China and, and 
the island, right? There's, there was no, there's no exchange. Um, and so you've seen the reopening of one, you know, of one kind of route between North Korea and China, but it seems from, you know, reports that North Koreans aren't receiving the amount of medications, um, fertilizers, food that they thought they would, they would traditionally get from China. So China itself is even reducing the amount of aid it's providing. And, you know, we're not really sure the reasons there, whether there is some economic leverage that's trying to maybe rein in the North Koreans a little as, as Jamil points out, them and the Russians are really propping up, um, the regime. And so whether there's something going on there behind the scenes that we're not aware of, um, I think might be an interesting factor. You know, as uh, as Jamil pointed out, we sh- we should be providing assistance through the the World F- Food Program for North Korea. It's something we did uh, back in the 1990s during the the famine then, uh, and and then this. But it's hard not to at least talk a little bit about the the kind of the narrative out there. And God, I hate that word, but let's talk about the narrative that's out there, where North Korea is saying it won't accept aid from the U.S. or South Korea. I mean, it's it's just completely bogus. The U.S. is by far the world's biggest donor uh, to WFP. So really anything going from WFP into North Korea is essentially American assistance. Let's not kid ourselves. Yes, other other countries are, are generous in their contributions, but the U.S. is by far the biggest one. Um, and the other thing that we that we don't really talk about enough, and, and Jamil hinted at it, is that Beijing and Moscow are largely responsible for the behavior of the North Korean regime. You know, for example... Uh, if a North Korean wants to try and leave the country to find food or a better life for themselves and they try to go through China, China will arrest, uh, very likely to arrest those people and return them to North Korea. So China specifically is uh, enabling the behavior of the Kim Jong-un regime in a way that is deep and profound. And, and China likes to say, likes to put out a story that, oh, we're having a difficult time managing relations with North Korea. They're doing things that we don't really like. While at the same, which, and there may be like a modicum of truth in that, but in reality, the overall policy of China towards North Korea is to enable the regime. China and Russia, and Russia is very similar, uh, engages in a little bit of trade with North Korea, but only with the approval of the Kim Jong-un regime, basically setting them up. Uh, Moscow and Beijing like for North Korea to be a problem for the West. They like the fact that there's this rogue nation there in East Asia causing trouble for South Korea and Japan and disrupting uh, kind of the normal nation states of the region. So I think while it's important we provide assistance uh, and, of course, and meet the humanitarian needs of the North Korean people, it's urgent that we do so. We also need to speak publicly about who's really responsible here, and that's Moscow and Beijing. So, I mean, how do, how do we get that message across yeah, no, the less? Because it seems like we're all in agreement on that on that message, right? But and but how does the U.S. do that? Is it through multilateral bodies? That doesn't seem to be working. <laughs> so, like, how would you propose that? You know that narrative, which though we hate that word, is that to, to is that to strengthen mes- you know support for that messaging here in the U.S. Is that amongst our allies, which probably already are of that belief as well? Like, who we're trying to convince? Who do we need to convince? I think that I think the White House, the president, President Biden needs to use the bully pulpit. He needs to he needs to talk openly about these issues. He needs to talk about the assistance the U.S. is providing and also call out Moscow and Beijing for what they're doing. He needs to be open and explicit about it. Let's talk about it in public. Look, I think part of the question is, what is it that we're going to ask from the North Koreans or the Russians or the Chinese if we provide these supplies to the World Food Program, right? I mean, the key is it can't be everything for nothing. Yes, we should support the North Korean people. Yes, we should help them get out of this crisis. But this is a crisis of their own making. It's a crisis uh, that was made by China and Russia that empowered the North Korean regime. So what what concessions are we going to, going to extract from either the Chinese, the Russians, or most importantly, the North Koreans? 
Well, folks, we will let you decide what the concessions could be, because that's a wrap. Thanks to Brooke Aga Khan from NSI and Claude Jennings for their help producing today's episode. Join us again on Monday for another great episode of Fault Lines, the podcast that gets you smart fast on the national security debate shaking up America. And if you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.